0: The nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to nonprofits. We've actually been doing this for 12 years now. 80% of our clients are small nonprofits. Um, Our product is, is, we are the leading provider in the United States of lines of credit to small nonprofits, and uh, it's a great product. People love it. I can't tell you how many times I get people. I mean, we're five star rated on Google reviews, which says a lot about, you know, what people think of it. So, you know, it's very well needed in the marketplace. We know that nonprofits have issues sometimes with cash flow and, you, you know, you got to make payroll. you got to keep a program going. That's what the line of credit is really great for. Um, our line of credit is easy, inexpensive and costs nothing to get to use. And I'm sorry, nothing until used making it a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. So even if you, uh, I'm sorry, if you learn, uh, if you would like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Again, that's nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Boy, I'm making some mistakes today. And it's because I'm improvising, which I (laughs) have not done much over the last three years. I'm like, oh, this is getting a little boring. I got to start improvising a little bit. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file, or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. And just remember, the time to set up your line of credit is now, not when you actually need it or the emergency comes up. You want to get it in place, ready to go, because it doesn't cost anything until you need it. And then when you need it, it's inexpensive. It's it's a good deal. Uh, Today, I am excited to, uh, to be speaking with A.J. Steinberg, From Queen Bee Fundraising, Um, AJ has over 20 years of experience as a nonprofit event planner and engagement strategist. Uh, She has produced over 100 successful events and raised millions of dollars for organizations with her Los Angeles-based production company. In 2015, AJ launched Queen Bee Fundraising to share the art of nonprofit event planning and engagement strategies with organizations worldwide. She is a recognized topic expert and trainer, and presents on subjects such as nonprofit event planning, event sponsorships, committee and volunteer leadership, generational giving, and guest entertainment. I'm sorry, guest engagement. AJ, welcome to today's nonprofit MBA podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Stephen.
0: So it's it's great to have you here. We're going to talk uh, about a subject matter, which I actually had to ask AJ before we went on, what one word meant in it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, th- I thought I'd cover, I had a hunch. I knew what it was, but I just wanted to make sure. Um, but today's topic is successful sponsorships for nonprofits. And so AJ, I would assume that if you're in the nonprofit sector, that um, you're running a nonprofit, that the term sponsorship is is well known?
1: Well, I think that it's something that's out there that people look out and want, don't even really fully understand what it is and have no idea how to get it. So you're right. When you ask me about it, you're not the only one asking. When nonprofits hear the word sponsorship, they think, wow, money, which is correct. But then they think, ooh, scary because you have to step into the real business world. And as you know from what you do, nonprofits don't always think like businesses and therefore sometimes lose opportunities.
0: Yeah, so would would a better name for it be successful corporate sponsorships for nonprofits? Or no, sponsorships can also be not a corporation.
1: No, that's really interesting. Sponsorships can be a person or a foundation so it could be corporate it could be a foundation it could be a benefactor of some sort the reason that i say nonprofit sponsorships is because my world is nonprofit so if i want people to know that those sponsorships are out there i like to put the the word in so they know who i'm talking to
0: yeah i get it i get it um so how long have Boy, it's going to be a stupid question, and I don't ask (laughs) stupid questions, but how long have corporate sponsorships or sponsorships been around?
1: You know, I've got to say probably since the beginning of philanthropy, the first person that went over to the Hershey's factory and said, you know, can you uh, be an in-kind sponsor and give our orphanage chocolate would be considered a corporate sponsorship. So I think that when you look at philanthropy, people have always been looking for ways to increase their revenue stream. And just like they have you for the line of credits, which is a brilliant thing, they should be looking at other ways that they can monetize the organizations because they're stuck, a lot of them in the ruts of, I'm going to do an event and the event's going to fund us. And that is not the only way to be funded. Of course, my world is events. So event sponsorships are huge. I've gotten huge sponsorships from huge corporations based on the protocols that I've put in place and my strategy. So I think nonprofits need to realize that they have assets to offer to sponsors that make them appealing, but they need to put the time and energy into thinking about what they have that's valuable in the corporate world.
0: So step into your, the you're, you're going to talk to somebody who let's say one of my listeners, they lis- listen to this great podcast. And then they're like, you know, I want to look into the sponsorships. So they call you AJ. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me the questions that's running through their mind that, they, that you typically get.
1: Typically get it's Can we really get money for sponsorships? That's the question is really, can we, are we too small or what, why would somebody sponsor us? And the answer is you're only as small as you start out with because any organization, if you're going to think like a business, You're going to think, here's where I am now, and I'm going to build my value. Now, let's start out with events because events are easy, Stephen. You've been to events and there's sponsors at the events, correct? And those don't happen magically because they had to have come up with sponsorship levels and sponsorship packages. But what most organizations screw up with their event sponsorships is they don't treat their sponsors like valuable entities. They don't value them. So they get their money. They say, I want a $10,000 sponsorship and we're going to give you four tables of 10 and we're going to put your logo on a loop. And that's typically what you see in those typical packages. And the sponsor who might be being solicited looks at this and says, first of all, that's 40 seats at your event. There is no way that I can find 40 people in my corporation who want to actually show up at your event And sit there. So first of all, you're giving them something they don't value. Secondly, if they do sign on, if they do find something of value that you're offering, you treat them like they don't exist. Once they give you that check and they sign on, they don't hear from you. Can you hear me, Stephen? I can see. Okay. It was frozen a little bit. Um, So what happens is stewardship is missing. Just like we talk about stewarding donors. I'm sure you've had people on your podcast who've talked about the importance of stewardship. It's the same thing with sponsorships. Once you're lucky enough to sign on a fabulous sponsor, you should be making them a member of your team. You shouldn't just take their money, assume they're going to show up, have dinner and leave. Include them Every time that you're doing an email blast that has their logo, make sure that you either pick up the phone and call them for $10,000. I'd call them and say, hey, we're going to be sending you a copy of our email blast. I want to thank you again. And I know our supporters appreciate it too. Every time that there's a big decision and something exciting happened at an event, Pick up the phone and say, you know, we just signed some new talent on. We're so excited. You're going to love it. And every time that something happens, let them know. Keep them excited and engaged in your event. Then at the event, remember, they're not just there to eat dinner and leave. What they're doing at your event is basically looking at it as an opportunity to bring a new business to themselves. So I always have the board members assigned to the sponsors so they can personally escort them through the cocktail hour, introduce them to people who could potentially give them business and do a warm connect. Say, hey, this person's an in insurance and this person is has a car dealership. Let's put you together. So treating them like a business person, looking at it from a business perspective is so valuable. And then of course, stewarding them after the event. It's not like you know, if you go on a date and you have a great date, if the person never calls you again, you're going to think, I don't want anything to do with this person. When an organization stops communicating with their sponsors the minute the event's over and doesn't continually keep them in that cultivation silo, just like donors, you're going to lose them. You're going to lose the opportunity. So that, that's one of the main things that I teach my people is stewardship, also valuation, how to see what's valuable to a sponsor.
0: Yeah. I'm going to add to what you said. I'm just, you know, from a business, you know, I've had uh, uh, six businesses over 25 years. So I, you know, that's my expertise, you know, uh, certainly I've been on my nonprofit boards as well, but, um, but, you know, I would add this, I want to put, or listen, there's through the scenario. All right. So you got a sponsorship. Let's say you really did a great job. You brought AJ on. She helps you get a sponsorship. Uh, She shows you how to do it. You got a sponsorship. Now the next year comes around Mm -hmm. and you're going back to the sponsorship, Mm -hmm. the sponsor. Mm -hmm. You're saying to them, I want you to come on. I would like you to do it again. You did last year's. And, and what runs through my mind is what could you prove to that person who is the, the sponsor? To, for him to, or her to say, oh, this is a no brainer because they did this. Right. right? So, so like you said, oh, I introduced this person to this person, right? Well, how can you prove? Mm -hmm. Quantify. Quantify that that resulted in a business for that company. And if you can do that across the board Mm -hmm. with a variety of different things, Mm -hmm. Not only are you going to get sponsorship, you can you'll be able to increase your sponsorship prices because it's a win win situation for everybody.
1: Right. So your your brain is starting to think, and this is the joy of working with my clients. Is they come on scared, and believe me, when I started event planning over twenty years ago, when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth and we didn't have <laughs> internet, I was afraid of asking. I I was. Nice girls don't ask for money syndrome, but I've got to tell you the excitement I feel when I'm with my clients and I say, listen, you're not asking for money. You're offering them an opportunity for their business and shame on you. If you aren't letting them know that they can do good in the world and bring in business. So first of all, they should be signing that sponsor on the day after the event is over with a phone call and saying, we loved having you. Uh, You met this person, you met this person. We're sending out coupons in our emails for people to go and do a test drive at your at your car dealership or for a free consultation for insurance. Show them that you're continuing the love and say, and we want to give you the first right for next year because it's going to be an even better event. So that's the joy of really being able to work with clients and show them it's not spending more money. To get sponsors, it's doing it right and knowing the way to s- cultivate these sponsors.
0: Yeah, and you think about it because, like, where does the attention of the executive director or the people, the fundraising staff, or whatever, where you're having this event, where does all your attention go to? Well, it goes to trying to raise more money for your nonprofit, right, through the event. But are you are you ever focusing on the sponsors? You're like, great, I got a sponsor. Okay, check. Now mm-hmm. I move on to everything else. But I think that the objective here is you need to be able to uh, really deliver for the sponsor. And I, I think it's important, of course, to, to say this be the most obvious here. And that is you have to say to your sponsor, well, you know, what, you know, what would you consider a successful event for you? Right. You know, right. Because, you know, if you come back and you say, hey, listen, we had 300 people at the conference and. And, um, and it was very, sick. so let's say six months goes by, you go back to them. Like I know you said right after you, you hit them up again, or you asked them to stay on for next year, but six months goes by and you go back to me and say, listen, we have 300 people there. Um, you know, you got in front of your, your email in here and they're like, well, you know, that really wasn't my objective. my objective was to get business out of it. And I don't mm-hmm. see how we got any business out of it. Like that, yeah. they wouldn't be that blunt and I get it right but or or maybe they That's would funny. but right Sorry. About well that. Um, first of
1: all i'm going to tell you something the first thing i do with my clients is we write down what their actual reach of an event is so when you say we had 300 people there that is the typical thing that people say when they're trying to get sponsorships when i sit down with my clients the first thing we do i say how many people are on your email blast lists
0: yeah how
1: many people are on your social media so say Between your email list and your social media outreach, you have 5,000 names, all right? So that's 5,000 pair of eyes. And if you do 10 email blasts that include their logo, that's 50,000 pair of eyes will see their logo in affiliation with your event. Now, just think about that. In terms of return on investment, 300 people, 50,000 touches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. sales is what this is. It's marketing, it's sales. It's, you know, we work together on marketing material that's going to show them how we are going to. Now, one thing you said that's so interesting is say, asking the, the potential sponsor, what would success look like for you? That is the part of the script that I work with, with my clients, where we say, here's what we're offering. What do you think would add value to this sponsorship package? Because we want to put it there in there for you. Yeah. So I'll say, do you want to have a cocktail reception in your dealership showroom? Do you want to do an informational little meet and greet sometime? Putting them in front of people who are potential clients of theirs, business you know, customers, is Job one for somebody trying to sell sponsorships and asking what they need and understanding that putting their logo somewhere, if the logo's on a screen, it's way up there, way far away while people are busy doing something else. If you're a real estate agent, And you are going to be the sponsor for the valet. And you can put your little sign right where the valet gets out. And the valet tickets have your logo on the valet tickets. And when you get into the car, the valet says to you, this is from Remax. You know, thanks from Remax, A.J. Steinberg. There could be a cookie in the car with your your card attached. Those are real live touches that make such a difference instead of just a logo on a screen. And you they're fun that, to figure
0: out. <laughs> you know, it, it crossed my mind that I th- would think that a lot of, having dealt with, dealt with a lot of nonprofit executive directors, they, they go in thinking that the person who's sponsoring the event is um, really doing it because they like the charity. That they, you know, and I would say probably uh, over a majority of the time, it's true. Right, someone believes in it. They're in a high-level position. They're the CEO of a corporation. You know, they're they uh, they their son. Yeah, but
1: Stephen, what happens when they leave that company?
0: Uh, right. No, I I get it. Uh, so my question to you is: Is that uh, is first? Is it true that executive directors or, or fundraising uh, professionals that when they when they get somebody um, to sponsor an event? Is it true that more than uh, 50% of the time, it, that person just believes in the charity? They don't, they don't really care about the return on the investment? Is it? you think that's true? 50% is too high.
1: too high. Yeah. And also, too, you have to realize, and this is when I say, don't just look at creating great sponsorships. Look at creating amazing events because if your event is a dud, You're not going to get them to sponsor again because it's bad for business to be kind of affiliated with the dog of an event.
0: Yeah.
1: It's very holistic. And everything that they've been taught about fundraising, meaning donor centric language and messaging and focus, is what they should be putting into their events to make them successful and to make not only the people who are guests or attendees, but the sponsors feel like they're part of something meaningful. And even Nestle's wants to be part of something meaningful, you know, and a great way I have to tell you. So I got Nestle's as one of my major sponsors for a, a, an ongoing event years ago, because I started out by having their volunteer group volunteer for this group event. Large corporations have volunteer teams for the corporate responsibility. Everybody, these are all terms that I throw out, but corporate responsibility, uh, Disney, Nestle's, all of these, you know, Anheuser-Busch. They have these teams they'll send out if you need volunteers, State Farm. And if you treat those volunteers like VIPs and they have an amazing experience, almost every corporate sponsor team for volunteers that I've had, the next year I've brought them on as a very significant sponsor to the event because, first of all, I treated their volunteers amazingly. I took videos of their volunteers and then posted them on social media thanking them. I sent them volunteer videos so they could put it on their websites to prove they have corporate responsibility. And I thanked them from the stage and I followed up immediately thanking them and said, we want to be more meaningfully involved with you. We want this to be a really great business relationship. So you see, there's so many ways to do sponsorships aside from cold calling or this and the board members are burned out. They've been yeah. asking the same people for money forever. Raise your yeah. hand in the a podcast if you've <laughs> got a burned out board. Yeah, well, that's because you're not exciting them by the potential of using your brain to think, how can we make this an exciting thing to go out and prospect and outreach rather than slog and oh, no, not again.
0: Yeah, and also keep in mind, too, I think, you know, I worked for Xerox for eight and a half years when I first started. And for those of, the, of you who are not as old as I am, Xerox was... <laughs> the Google of its day. So um, they they were a very uh, corporate, uh, very responsible organization. It was, I loved working for them. and um, But they, keep in mind that there, there's some things that Xerox did too. Um, and I don't know if they did it for this reason, but as an employee of the organization, I was proud of some of the organizations that Xerox sponsored as an employee. So maybe some of the sponsorships that, Corporations do is to keep their employees uh, at the company The saying, hey, there's there's a this company cares about. Other than things other than making a profit and um, and I thought directs did a fantastic job with that. I was proud of the people, the, the organizations that they associated themselves with. So uh, you yep. know, there's not a return on an investment that you get exactly, maybe, but or there, is there? But there's in
1: your employee value, and it's interesting. This is another topic that I'm very aware of because I speak on it. Is generational giving and generational employment in the nonprofit sector, and there's such turnover between you know for the younger generation that we're hoping to bring up as leaders, and it has been shown that for them, if they're in a corporate environment. Doing something good in the world for this generation X, you know, for the youngsters now is generation Z is so much more important than just money. So places like Netflix and I raised my family in Malibu and I lived in Malibu till the fire when like thousands of the families, we lost our homes. And suddenly I got a notice from Netflix that two of these young girls who I had Known since they were little girls, who now work at Netflix, they had said, "We want to do something for the fire victims, and we want to give them money to help with their expenses in the interim before insurance kicks in." And Netflix sent me a check because these two girls had stood up and said, "This is important to us," and it was really moving, you know. So, wow. Things, but that's what keeps these amazing youngsters at Netflix. Because they don't just want the paycheck. They want to do stuff like that.
0: Yeah. You find that um, the best fundraisers, uh, the people who are the best at fundraising are super creative?
1: Oh, wow. Yes. But do they stay in the nonprofit sector? Because. The nonprofit sector has not historically. Dan Pelota, do you know who Dan Pelota is? No. He's very famous. Everybody no. should look him up. He's the person who got in trouble. His organization raised a zillion dollars for AIDS back in the day. And he there was some brouhaha about him and his ethics. But one of the things, he did this TED Talk on why nonprofits should think like for-profit companies to keep talent. Because if you can't support your family, you're going to leave the nonprofit sector. Yeah. Reward the nonprofit sector. So creative people start out enthused and created, but you kind of get drugged down, dragged down, dragged down by dealing, you answer to a board and the board doesn't always, it keeps changing. And so the ethos changes. And there's a lot of stuff that has, so yes, the most creative people are most successful at fundraising. Can we keep them in that sector in the nonprofit sector? Maybe, maybe we can, if we start treating them a little better.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's a whole new podcast. Right there, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so, okay. So the person calls you, mm-hmm. you, you went over a couple questions already that they are, are, are going for, mm-hmm. uh, where, what happens next with the person calling you?
1: Well, if we're a good fit, because I don't work with an organization unless I feel that they really um, will work with me. I, I, you know, it's no fun to be a consultant and then they listen to you and they pay you good money and then they don't do it. They, you know, you know they're not going to succeed. But once we've decided we're a good fit, the first thing we do is we assess. Uh, Usually they'll bring me in for events generally to assess the events, the ROI and events, and how they can fix their events so that they're more appealing to sponsorships. And then once that's done, and that's, you know, a two, three month period of time, they can either get excited and say, we're going to move on with your suggestions, and that's great. Or they hire me to help them craft the messaging, help them make their sponsorship levels and help them do the sponsorship materials and training. So that's sort of how I work with clients, but how do you it know, all starts with.
0: <laughs> yeah. How do you know if you have someone there who's really going to be good to work with that they're going to implement what you kind of talk about? How do you know?
1: Well, the first thing is if somebody says, well, we've always done it this way. I say, thank you very much. And <laughs> yeah, then I yeah. hang up the phone. Yeah. And then I say, ask about their board and their board enthusiasm. And then I make sure that the board wants to work with me because if we can't get the board to say, AJ's great, she's done it forever, she has an incredible track record, she's funny, so we're not bored. Uh yeah, bring her on. But if they say, I don't know, you know, we we could use that money elsewhere, then I know that you know there could be resistance. I usually they usually do want me, but I don't know you're a business person. There's times where you just know that if you're not a good fit for somebody. It's better for all parties to just say, hey, I wish you the best and then go on. Oh yeah.
0: With it. Oh yeah. I've learned that. Um so after that, I is is the training of how to make the pitch um a big part of success?
1: Yes. But before the training comes the mindset.
0: Uh. Gotcha. So
1: before the training, and I give this effort for you, is that you're not asking for money, you're offering an opportunity. And that's huge. So yes, the training, and then also, once you start the brainstorming, and they can see the thought process that goes into finding great ways to promote these potential sponsors, seeing the light bulb go on, that's the moment. And the beauty is that you don't need an AJ forever. Once you go through this once, you got this. You can, for the rest of your life, go out and do exciting things with sponsorships. It's just getting started on the right foot.
0: Um, I have to ask this question, but it, um, because it's the appropriate time to ask it, it's a tough question. Why do people fail at sponsorships? Well, it's like, let's say they can't get in.
1: First of all, they fail because they over they don't they, they don't do any navel gazing. They don't stare at their belly button and think what what is the meaning of this? What are we trying to accomplish? You know, so first of all, you have to set your goals of how much money you need from sponsorships. What can you realistically ask for sponsorships? So they don't really realistically look at it. If somebody says we want a $25,000 sponsor, good. But if your highest sponsor you've ever had before was $1,000, you're not going to get it right. So being realistic and not copying what other people are doing, really putting some thought into it and really, you know, knowing the right way to ask, you know, that training means the world.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, I bet you, um, like anything in our lives, you just got to do it and you just got to keep going and learning and, and you learn, you say, well, that worked or this didn't work. And you kind of, you know, you learn as you go along, but you got to make that first step, and you just got to keep plugging along, and you get better at it. You get a, co- a core competency on that. Right. But if you right, but if you don't make that that first step, you'll you're never going to get good at it.
1: Right. And here's a secret. So I'm going to give you my, one of my little secrets for free. I'm just throwing it out. But if you ask a sponsor, and there's a lot of people who say not this year, or next year, or not this year. Would what I do, as I say, that's fine. And then I give them a free VIP ticket for two to the event. And when they walk in, they are treated like they paid the highest top dollar and they see the event for themselves and they see how we treat the other sponsors. And that is one of the ra- re- ways that I bring on sponsors the next year, because if you do a great event and they see how you treat the other sponsors, they're going to come on and say yes the next year. So it's okay to hear no. Don't be afraid of hearing no, but don't be afraid of saying, that's okay. I really want you to see what we're all about. I really want you to be there. So,
0: so you know, the listeners that I have on this podcast, uh, they're all, you know, definitely under 5 million. On average, they're like maybe 1.5 million. You know, there's, there's all different types of revenue uh, uh, of people who are listening to here. So let's say, let's take a scenario where you have someone who's at well, $800,000 in revenue mm-hmm. right here. Right. And they're like, I really like what you're saying, but I just don't know if I have the staff to be able to do this. Right. Um, you know, my, you know, my first question was really going to be, I, I was kind of changing it, but my first question was going to be is, who usually does this if you're a small nonprofit? An executive director? Is it, I mean, they may have a fundraiser, you know, a person in charge of fundraising. They may not. Uh, do they get somebody from the board to kind of take uh lead on this, which would be good? That would be good because, like you said, maybe would we'll put some energy into the board, right? right? Or do they go to you and they say, we want you to do the whole thing?
1: Do you, I like, I, if they have an executive and development director, great. I always want the board involved because it gives them something real and productive to do, which takes them out of their doldrums. I don't make the board ask. I ask them to do the first touch. And that's the secret is they don't have to do any hard lifting. They just need to make that first connection of that with their connection. Gotcha. And then for me, I will work. I work with them with the materials and the asking and the scripting. I don't Do the ask. I will follow up if a board member, you know, if they want to hire me to to follow up. But these are the organization's contacts, they are their jewels. It's up to them to take that step and start building relationships because sponsorships are just like donors it's cultivation, it's relationship building. So it's not really good to have an outsider come in and beware of somebody who says, oh, hire me. And for 20%, I will sell you sell your sponsorships. Mm. First of all, it's unethical in the AFP handbook to take a percentage of anything. And they they don't have your best interest in mind. My whole goal is to help you build relationships and understand. And once you get that down, it costs you no extra money to do this because it's just a process that you know how to go through.
0: Any statistics about how many sponsorships, uh, I, it's, I think the answer should be no, you, you don't have <laughs> it, right? But is there any uh, um, statistics about how many sponsors typically renew every year, what the drop-off drop off rate is, uh, anything like that? It's
1: interesting. I don't think there's any statistics like that. Hmm. I will tell you that I have very few that don't come back, but the ones that haven't come back, like I'm not perfect. There was, and I don't even take full responsibility because it wasn't me who did it, but I take responsibility because I was working on this event was somebody's logo wasn't on the step and repeat. You know, the step and repeats, that big banner that people take. And that person didn't come back as a set or company didn't come back as a sponsor. And I don't blame them. And I felt terrible about it. And I still think about it. But They They should have done it for
0: free the next time. I offered, Uh, but
1: they didn't. Yeah. No, I agree with you but there's a certain point where, you know, so that's an example, a company that's going bankrupt or who's really, you know, we're heading into uncertain financial times. I hate to say it, but, you know, we just need to be prepared that businesses may not. But once again, if you can say, as a part of your sponsorship, we will send email coupons to come and visit your restaurant, you know, two for one coupons. Or if you can offer a way to actually Bring feet into the door of that business, and a coupon means they can say, Ah, this is fun scala. They're going to be more likely to sign on. So, if you treat them right and, and you build a relationship, they're going to want to keep that relationship going, unless there's financial reasons they can't.
0: So, last question um, a little off the beaten track, but what was sponsor like ship like during COVID the last two years?
1: Yeah, that's interesting, huh? It's Well, first of all, events were different and organizations were different. There was a lot of shifting and going around. I still like, so I don't just do Los Angeles. I do sponsorships all over. And I had somebody in Cincinnati who was able to take the time during COVID. A lot of people took the time to just review what they were offering. And then we brainstormed together about what we could do during COVID, meaning a lot more email and virtual type of, of events that really could promote the sponsors. So what we did was we explained to the sponsors that now that we're virtual, it's not 300 people sitting in the audience, right? And it's evergreen because it's recorded and it's put out. So sponsorship meant that we had to just change our messaging and change the offering to say, actually, this is a good thing for you. Look it, it's wonderful, which it wasn't optimal, but you make lemonade with lemon. Does that make sense? Is that kind of an answer to you? Oh, you yeah. revamped our messaging and, and our offers.
0: Yeah. Now the reason, one of the reasons I asked, I was, I, for the first time I did a conference, was it the first time? I think I was the first time I did a Zoom conference, a live Zoom conference, and I thought, oh, this is great. I'll, while I'm doing the conference, while I'm at the conference online, I'll be able to clean up my email and stuff like that. And I got nothing out of the conference because I did that. It was really bad. And I was like, you know what? If I, In the future, if I want to go to a conference, I think I'm going I'm to have to go to it because I'm not going to be able to. It's just there's just too many distractions. And it really was a waste. And so that's what made me think of. I'm like, okay, so if you don't have the in-person event and you're doing it through Zoom, how did it change sponsorship from that point forward? And again, that's it's a little off base from what you're talking about, but um, that's what made me kind of think of it. But what
1: you're saying is really on point. Is that I will tell people because we're all COVID weary at this point. That nothing will replace live events. So, all these people who are saying to you, hybrid events are the way, hybrid events are the worst, they're the houseboat of the event world. They're neither, houseboats are neither great houses nor great boats. Hybrids are neither great anything, you know, they're the worst of all worlds. People love the interaction. It's cultivation and stewardship of relationships is a live event. And that's where it will always be. There will always be live events and those will always be your most valuable moments. So put the effort and energy into the engagement. And that's a great story about getting nothing out of it.
0: The problem is, is I think if you're like, like you, like what you do and you're in uh, events too, um, you say a hybrid, right? So you'll say is, okay, um, I'll do, uh, well, you can come through Zoom, or you can come to the conference. Right? Um, it's tough because I think the people who come in, you know, I think a lot of people are still going to pick Zoom, mm-hmm. right? And that that deg- it, uh, devalues the people who went to the conference. Right. Right. You're and right. and then the people who went through Zoom might say the same thing I did, might be like, you know, I didn't get as much out of it and um, right. I'm not going to do it next year. And I
1: do. And, and I produce summits and conferences. And in fact, I'm producing one on sponsorships. It's a plug <laughs> with charity how to. But I will never do a hybrid event ever, ever, mm. because I've really thought of this. And when people come to me and say, I want to do a hybrid event, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do for you let's either do a live event that's recorded and you can sell the recordings afterwards to another group who you know, to those group, or you have two separate events, oh, you have the live event yeah, yeah. and you do that. Those are the two options. Do not ask AJ to ever produce a hybrid event because I won't succeed for you.
0: <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you everybody what's coming down the tubes. Um, I, uh, my son, Max is 13. He'll be 13 and, um, he got a, uh, a VR set, f- uh, for, uh, Christmas. Now my other son had had, has the same VR set, but he got it two years ago. And, and it's, and some of, you know, Facebook is, uh, either they created a new company or they're renaming Facebook, right? It's Meta, it's called Meta and, and Facebook owns the company Oculus who makes this headset, um my son is so into this headset now and it's really engaging and meta is going to be coming down now with a virtual meeting where you pick your own avatar and you you know you really go into the meeting space um you know virtually through the headset and you know it's i it's it's coming it's 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 gonna you know it's we're getting a little we're on the bleeding edge right now with that um then comes cutting edge then comes normal uh just like facebook you know facebook several years ago you know i wasn't really that into it you know now you know you get grandmoms on facebook you know the
1: minute the grandmas are in facebook everybody else has already moved over to TikTok. they moved
0: it i I agree (laughs) with you did you know the number one biggest search so get let me ask you a question i kind of Gave the secret away, but you, uh, what's the number one search engine in the world? It, everyone would say, Google. I would Google, assume it's Google, Google right? TikTok yeah. TikTok is the number one their search engine because it used to be Google's number one, YouTube is number two, right? And whatever else is three, four, five, six. And now it's TikTok, Google, Google, and YouTube. TikTok took over. So you're right. You know, and, you know, I mean, certainly Facebook is old school. Instagram is the, replace that and some other stuff too. So, but anyway, coming back to the meetings, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know, you're going to have to adapt. And uh, uh, so when I, I'm interested in what you're saying, and, uh, because I think, you know, we really underestimate uh, the power of being in person with people, you know? Mm-hmm. So the coffee clutch conversations, they're, right. they're pretty important. So, well, it was really good stuff. I, I'd like to really thank so very much AJ Steinberg from Queen Bee Fundraiser for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app to help us get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. AJ, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they go about doing that?
1: Well, I answer all my emails at AJ at queenbfundraising.com, or you can visit me at at my website, which hopefully will be up again soon, which was Queenbeefundraising.com.
0: Good job. Well thanks for coming on today. Thank you. Um and for all of our listeners out there, um, you guys are doing all the heavy lifting of making the world a better place. I know that AJ and I need to continue to do our part in our own way, in our own with our own nonprofits and, and even just by being good people, right? We all need to contribute uh, to, it, it all comes down to you. So let's, you know, I want to thank you all. You guys are out there. The listeners are out there doing the heavy lifting, making the world a better place. I thank you for that. I love the nonprofit MBA podcast. I think it really, um, helps organizations get better at what they do. Am able to bring people like AJ to you? Um, and I think, you know, she's she brought up so many great ideas today that I think that'll help you. So everybody, Have a fantastic day. Happy New Year. Get out there. Go make things happen. And we'll see you next time.